Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Kevin Hancock about employee-centric versus capital-centric organizations. Kevin Hancock, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. John, hello. It's great to be with you. It is great to be with you today. You're joining us from Maine. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, we're going to be having a really nice conversation about employee-centric organizations and really uh, juxtaposing employee-centric approaches with capital-centric approaches and making the argument for why employee-centric is going to be better and drive better uh, outcomes across the board, both from a human perspective as well as from a bottom line's business case perspective for the organization. Uh, I'll share your bio here in just a moment, but you're CEO of Hancock Lumber in Maine. Uh, so we'll also be talking about this from a bit of a unique perspective, and that is from a lumber uh, corporation, uh, which I think is also super interesting. And also one other kind of unique twist to the conversation today, in 2012, you were diagnosed with spasmodic dysphonia. And I'll let you tell us a little bit more about that here in a, a few minutes. Um, but that contributes to a difficulty in communicating. And so I think that'll be interesting as we talk about your leadership and your role as CEO of Hancock Lumber and how you've navigated that and dealt with that over time. As we get started, I wanted to share Kevin's full bio with everybody. Kevin Hancock is an award-winning author and speaker, the CEO of Hancock Lumber Company, one of the oldest and best-known family businesses in America. He is a recipient of the Ed Muskie Access to Justice Award, the Habitat for Humanity Spirit of Humanity Award, the Boy Scouts of America Distinguished Citizen Award, and the Timber Processing Magazine Person of the Year Award. Kevin is also a member of the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission, a frequent visitor to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Kevin is an advocate of strengthening the voices of all individuals within a company or a community through listening, empowering, and shared leadership. Kevin is also the founder of The Seventh Power, a nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing economic sovereignty for Native communities across America. What a tremendous background. It really is wonderful to have you back on the show. Anything else you would like to share with listeners uh, by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in further to the conversation today? No, that was lovely, John. Thank you. Well, good. Um, and maybe if you don't mind, maybe you can start with this spasmodic dysphonia um, element, because I, I imagine that's a key part of your story as a leader. Um, tell us a little bit about what that is. Um, how your diagnosis came about about 10 years ago and how that's impacted your leadership at Hancock Lumber. Yeah, so about a decade ago, uh, right around the peak of the economic and housing mortgage market collapse, which was a 
very stressful time for our industry. I began quite suddenly to have trouble speaking. When I would go to talk, all the muscles in my throat would spasm and squeeze and contract. And suddenly speaking, which I always take it for granted, never thought about, was very difficult. And of course, as a CEO, I hadn't thought about it until that moment, but really my voice was my primary tool at work. And suddenly I couldn't really use it. So I had to quite quickly come up with a different approach to leading and managing. Yeah. And can you describe for listeners uh, what exactly um, what exactly spasmodic dysphonia is? Uh, we, and we might call it SD for short, just for um, yeah, ease it, as we continue in the conversation. Sure. It's a very rare neurological voice disorder that affects only speech with no known cause and uh, no known cure. What essentially happens is your your the your voice area muscles over fire when you go to talk, and uh, it just can make it quite difficult. I've improved a lot since then, but at the time, there's no way. For example, John, I would have been able to do the show with you. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening, I imagine you can, you can tell that there's a little bit of a, um, a struggle in Kevin's voice, but Kevin, uh, hands off to you. You, I can also tell that over the last 10 years, you've put a lot of time and effort into regaining your voice, you know, and regaining your capacity to, to speak. Uh, and like you said, speaking is one of the major tools that leaders have when they're leading teams of people. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you did initially. And now over time, of course, you've been able to regain much of that capacity. Uh, but initially, right. especially, you had to pivot and, and take on different approaches since you were having so much trouble uh, speaking. Yeah, when it's hard to talk, you quickly develop strategies for doing less of it. And mine was to answer Sir, a question with a question, thereby putting the responsibility for speaking right back on the other person. Now, think about this in a leadership context at work. So people all the time would come up to me because I was an CEO of the company with a question or problem. And in the past, before my voice condition, I would have given an answer, a directive, an instruction. But now what I started saying to protect my voice was simply this. Gee, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? And then he or she would tell me what they thought we should do. And I would then say to protect my voice and keep it simple, that sounds good. Let's go do that. Now, this is where the leadership epiphany kicked in. Having done that, say, several hundred exchanges, several hundred times, here's what struck, struck me, John. People already knew what to do. They didn't actually need a top-down CEO-centric 
management-driven directive. What they really needed was the confidence and encouragement and safety in the culture of the company to trust their own voice and act on their own judgment. And that's when it started to hit me that maybe the partial loss of my own voice, which I only previously ever thought of as a hindrance or a liability or quite literally a pain in the neck, was actually a gift and a blessing and an invitation to lead differently in a way that strengthened the voices of others. And that's what really got me originally into this idea of dispersed power, shared leadership, and and an employee-centric company. Oh, I love all of that, Kevin. And uh, hats off to you for having the the humility to be able to learn that lesson. Um, I, I think that's you know many people who find themselves in senior executive and leadership ranks within organizations aren't always known for being um, you know the, the most uh, humble and willing to learn from those types of experiences. And there's you know it's kind of a caricature, and certainly it's not always true. But you know there's this caricature of of executives who have kind of this puff out your chest, faux confidence, and even arrogance about them. And what you're describing uh, to me is at the heart of, of what we talk about when we refer to things like servant leadership. Uh, if, if you have this, this mindset towards, you know, whatever my stuff is, my issue, my, um, the challenges that I'm facing, it's actually not about me. Uh, it's about my people. And, and your previous approach to just answering people's questions, trying to solve their problems for them, whatever, uh, that, you know, probably not intentionally, but inadvertently sucked the empowerment and motivation out of a lot of your people. And now all of a sudden you're navigating this new environment uh, where literally you, you have a choice. You can either be just bitter and angry and, and take it out on your people, or you can take a step back, reevaluate your leadership approach, reevaluate how you interact and exchange with your people and take a new tactic, a new, a new strategy um, that ultimately redefines you as a leader and allows you to empower your people to help build their decision-making capacity and to, to really enhance uh, allow them to enhance their own uh, creativity and, and to fulfill their potential. Uh, and that's really what's at the heart of this people-centric kind of a mentality and approach within organizations. Uh, and that's something I also feel very strongly about. Uh, I think most people conceptually get it. And if, if they he hear this conversation, they say, yeah, people are important. Yeah, we should value our people, um, either from a business case of it's just good dollars and cents. It makes sense to, to, to focus on and invest in our people and to support them so they can be successful and innovative and blah, blah, blah. Um, and also from the human case of just like treat people with dignity and respect, uh, treat them well and, and, and do right by them and they'll tend to do well for you. Um, so, you know, I think most people get that conceptually, but putting it into practice is hard because we always just tend to fall back into our old patterns. And the systems and structures of most businesses are such that they tend to focus primarily on uh, different types uh, and forms of uh, emphasis for the organization. So this capital-centric organizational approach, that's the predominant approach, even when 
uh, and even if a leader recognizes the need uh, in the value of having a people-centric approach. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, how, how do you disrupt that short of having a, a super rare neurological disorder? <laughs> uh, how, how, can, how can leaders proactively disrupt, you know, that kind of an approach um, that you had previously, which is super common, like that's how right. most executives, most leaders tend to lead. Uh, how do you disrupt that so that you can shift away from not just talking about a people-centric approach, but actually leading as a people-centric leader? Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for your individuals, teams, and organizations. Great thoughts and question. I think the first step is you've got to be curious about different leadership model. If you're not curious about different leadership model, then you know it's not going to happen. That's step number one. So really, why might someone be curious about its first power model? I think. The answer to that is, well, um, take a look at how the plate support is going for the people who work. And the truth is, it's not going great. Um, you, know, you know, national surveys will tell us from organizations like Gallup that engagement at work in America runs around 33%. Like two out of three people, uh, their job's not meaningful. It's just an economic exercise. And some will talk about the lost economic opportunity there. But what I really see is the human capacity waste that is just super unfortunate and totally unnecessary. People work for decades and to have that experience not be meaningful is just counterproductive to advancing humanity. So this is really all about flipping the script to your point that old business model 
is really about the employee exists to serve the corporation. The employee is an asset of the corporation to be deployed. The new model, which is such a better fit for the 21st century, is the company exists to serve the people who work there. And if a company becomes exceptional at serving the people who work there, I guarantee you those people will make sure the company soars. So it's a really nuanced flip of the script. This will dramatically improve corporate performance, this approach to thinking differently about engaging employees. But that really becomes the outcome of a higher calling, which is honoring human beings as human beings at work. Yeah, well, very well said. And I'm wondering if you can walk us through uh, how your, your transformation as a leader has impacted your company. Um, so clearly, you know, there's a pretty dramatic shift in your approach, largely driven in part by your condition. Um, but over time, you know, you have people respond to that. And I'm sure some responded well, others probably were a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but over time, it, that's going to shift the culture. So tell us a little bit more about how this all played out uh, at yeah. Hancock Lumber. Yeah, sure. We've been at it now for about a decade. So we really got very good empirical evidence across a company uh, with over 600 employees and, and about 50 sites in Maine and New Hampshire. It took a, a, a few years, really, because the old models of leadership and followership are so entrenched that it takes a while to get people to think differently uh, about it. But really, conceptually, once we were able to kind of flip the script, the company took off. Our engagement uh, results are running in the 90s. So about nine out of 10 people who work at our company will describe their experiences meaningful, engaging, beyond just a paycheck. And the performance of the company, uh, once that kicked in, has soared. Our company's one of the oldest in America. It goes back to the 1840s. And just to put the power of an employee-centric approach in perspective, I share this. We ended up making more money in the last 10 years than we did from 1848 to 2012. And the company had done well, well enough to you know, exist for over 150 years. But our performance in every category we measure just took off. And what's so interesting is the performance of the company took off by making the people of the company, not the company, the first priority. It's very counterintuitive and yet so sensible. We all know in our lives that when we, when we give of ourselves to others in a family or friendship setting, 
we feel like we get the most back in return. Well, the same fundamental truth works in business as well. That fundamental truth works anywhere humans are gathered. It just hasn't been employed consistently in a corporate business setting. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And I, I also need to note that, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the lumber industry. I don't know really much of anything about your company. Um, but what you're talking about in terms of these crazy high engagement levels, nine out of 10 people, that's insane in relation to in comparative to, you know, the rest of, of the, the labor force domestically and internationally. Um, this is all happening in a lumber company, right? Which, you know, I, I would, at least off the top of my mind, maybe this is not a fair um, description, but I would mind it's, it's heavily blue collar labor intensive work. Mm -hmm. And a lot, of a lot of people would suggest that much of what we're talking about might work in a high tech industry. It might work in, you know, service um, sector kind of a, an organization, but not so much, you know, in something like a lumber company or, uh, or a factory or those types of places. The truth is it can really have the same kind of an effect anywhere when you empower your people the way you were describing. Yes, totally. And, you know, people will say, well, what is it actually that you do? How does one do this? And it's really so simple. I would sum it up this way. It is all about within the company, simply meeting people where they're at and honoring them exactly as they are. One of my favorite thoughts is this this one nothing has to change for you to be amazing now that's a simple thought but it's so different than the way we historically managed management's always been about changing people getting more out of them telling them or showing them how they can be better and this approach is really flipping that script and simply honoring people as they are because when people feel honored and whole and um, trusted, respected, valued, and heard, that's when they thrive. That's when they create uh, their greatest creations. So it's all about just that basic level of human engagement at work. We talk what really had to change in our company from a management perspective is how we listened. And, and what we talk about today is that listening is for understanding, not judgment. When we're in a circle sharing and someone says something, makes a, a comment, my favorite response is simply this, thank you for sharing that. My old response pre-voice condition would have been to either affirm why that statement was right or disaffirm it, essentially explain why it's wrong. And, and we've completely let go of that. If there are 620 people that work in our company, there are 620 perspectives that define the company. There isn't a single truth 
about who we are. The truth of who we are is what everybody in the company is experiencing. It's a, a symphony, and you want that symphony to to be free. I call it the answers to the test. When people feel safe to say what they think, that's when you really get at the juice of how to improve a company. I love that, Kevin. That's so interesting. And I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your perspective. Uh, the time has flown by. I'm going to need to let you go here in just a minute. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your company, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure. So I have a, a book out on this topic that I love to share. It's titled uh, The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. You can find that on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. But I also have a website dedicated to the topic we've been discussing today. And that website is uh, www dot the business of shared leadership dot com and you can uh, reach me there and then my final thought uh, today on the subject we've been discussing uh, would be Gandhi's iconic uh, quote become the change you wish to see in the world I think management in the 21st century is about looking inward and working on ourselves as leaders, not on others and becoming what it is we'd like to see. Yeah, well said. I love that, Kevin. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what he can do for you. Check out his book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think.
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.